You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to your one-stop shop of conservative news and views, truly independent conservative views here at the conservative conscience. It is Wednesday, May 22nd. Wednesday's always my busiest day. Everything kind of converges, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to Wednesdays, congressional stuff, um, all sorts of weekly narratives wind up, uh, ripening right around midweek. So we got a lot of things we're juggling today. You know, one of the narratives we've built the last couple of days, ever since CBP put out a statement over the weekend that, no, no, we're not dumping people in the interior of the country. Uh, don't worry. We're only keeping them around the Southwest border. So we, we noted on Monday that two, well, two things. Number one, yeah, you're not directly dumping them in Florida, but first of all, you're dumping them in Texas and Arizona. So if you admit that it's not okay to dump them in Florida because of the strain on their services, which seemed to be a universal concern, Democrats were concerned there too. Well, why is Arizona and Texas any better? That's number one. You know, they, they should be held in Mexico. They should be held on an island, um, military base, or elsewhere, not for the American people to be on the hook. And if it's not okay for Floridians, it's not okay for Texas and Arizona. But then we made a second point that they are being dumped into the interior in the hundreds of thousands. It's just that you don't see a dramatic airlift that was rumored in Florida. It's gradual. Um, Where do you think they go after they're at the border? And we're in the middle of a two-part series, and we're going to have the second part out today, how the... The the front line for the border is actually, ironically, right around the nation's capital. You're, you see the demographic changes. I'm actually going to have census data. Frederick. You got Fairfax County, Virginia. PG Montgomery Counties, Maryland. Tens of thousands more Salvadorans have come in over the last 10 years or so. And the massive, massive MS-13 activity that you have there, worse than anywhere near the southwest border. So it really is happening. The problem is it's not apparent enough. It's too long term. And, you know, the media does a horrible job pointing it back to the source. But that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go back to one of the source areas of uh, that's becoming a dumping ground. That's Yuma County. Earlier this year, I think it was January, we had Yuma County Sheriff Leon Wilmot on the show. Um, because back then we thought it couldn't get any worse. Well, it did. It got a lot worse. Uh, sheriff Wilmot has been the Yuma County Sheriff since 2013, elected official. He was in the department um, as an officer for 32 years. He's the chairman of the Southwestern Border Sheriff's Coalition. He's also on the board of the National Sheriff's Association. And he is honoring us with his presence today to give us an update on the carnage in his county. Hey, Sheriff, thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning. How are you? We are doing all right here. Um, you know, like I said, I I thought things couldn't get worse when we had you on the show in January. And I figured, look, if this is going to continue, we're going to shut it off. You know, 
the president's going to declare an 1182F shutoff, no more processing. It's more than an emergency, yet it's gone on. February, we had record numbers. March, we broke those numbers. April broke those numbers. May is at least tracking with April, if not more. I see uh, in your county, it looks like over Saturday and Sunday alone, 900 more migrants came in. Um, big numbers just crossing right over. CBP put out a video. Could you give us just a status report over the what, where, when, who, why that you're seeing in your area? Well, speaking with Border Patrol uh, yesterday, they had 599 apprehensions just in the, for yesterday. And then today, from last night's activity, they had well over 300 apprehensions just in two days. From January till uh, last month, there were 29,500 apprehensions in Yuma alone. And for the fiscal year for Yuma, that would be the federal fiscal year, which is October to now, it has been 50,000 apprehensions just in, in our portion of the southwestern border. And you got to look at the fact that we only have about 110 linear miles with the Republic of Mexico. So that's where we're at now. The The unfortunate situation is border counties are not equipped through our NGOs who are housing these folks, the non-governmental organizations such as Salvation Army, Catholic Community Services, to handle more than 200 a day to allow these folks a place to stay till they can get their bus tickets or plane tickets to get to the interior of the United States. So it's overwhelming the, the local resources each and every day, which also takes away from what they normally do, especially during this time of year along the borders. Their main focus typically is to help the homeless and our veterans that are here in our community during the summer months, which tend to uh, heat up, as well as those folks that are on limited incomes on being able to pay their electric bill to have air conditioning is we get temperatures up to 110, 115 degrees. So it is, it's straining their resources significantly. Well, when, when you see their resources, you mean not just the feds, you're saying even county resources. Well, county resources, city resources, mostly right now in regards to uh, our uh, non-governmental organizations that are uh, stepping up to try to uh, help these folks from the humanitarian side. But uh, it also is a uh, strain on the uh, Border Patrol's resources and takes them away from being able to do the border security and homeland security that we need along the international boundary. So now our local organizations are having to try to fill that gap and ensure that uh, we don't have that criminal element exploiting the weaknesses that we are now experiencing along the border. So for your county, just to get this clear, we're hearing a lot about CBP directly releasing individuals without even turning them over to ICE facilities because they don't have room because the intake is so intense. Um, as of maybe it was two weeks ago, Carla Provost, the head of Border Patrol, said that since March 21st, CBP directly released 33,000 onto the streets. So is your county one of those counties that, that's getting at? Yes. Border Patrol can only bus so many folks each and every day to the ICE detaining centers in uh, Phoenix and Tucson. 
So they're averaging about 200 a day, and the rest are being released into local communities all along the border. Uh, more so in the Yuma sector because we're the busiest. We're now the third most busiest as far as apprehensions go yep. along the southwestern border. And this is not just in Yuma County. I was speaking with uh, Sheriff Joe Frank Martinez from Valverde, Texas, down by Del Rio sector, and his community is being devastated by this activity as well. And I'm also been told that Donna Anna County in New Mexico is also experiencing the same thing in regards to it's getting overwhelming for the, the local nonprofits trying to uh, help with this situation. But the bottom line is that uh, the folks need to understand is they're not staying on the border. They're getting their bus tickets, plane tickets to go to the interior of the United States. And then they're going to end up in, in your communities. And that's where they're staying. They're not staying down here. Yes, yes. I want to get back to that. The The long-term costs are, are shouldered, actually, ironically, more on the East Coast. But just to continue with the immediate problems, can you just describe what that means when they're released? So they're released in Yuma. Where where are they? And do you know roughly how many are being housed in Yuma? Right now, they're, they're, they can house up to 200 at the local shelter. So what Border Patrol is basically doing is they're, they're processing these folks through, giving them their paperwork that uh, gives them a uh, basically a to-be-determined piece of paper in regards to appearing in court at their final destination. So once they get that piece of paper, then Border Patrol releases them to the local shelter, and then the local shelter gives them a place to go so they can uh, arrange for their bus tickets or plane tickets, to, and then that NGO gives them a ride to the bus station or the, the airport so they can get to their final destination. The, the key here is the fact that, you know, back in 2017 when we were talking about this situation starting to get out of hand and it was coming and we were trying to warn Congress that they needed to do something, there was already over 800,000 individuals waiting to go to court that had already been released into this country. You can bet right now that they're probably well over 1.3 million cases that won't go for another two to five years to see a judge in regards to their asylum claim. Now, just with the folks that they have had appear in court, and this is from individuals that entered the country at least two years ago, only one out of 10 actually has a legitimate asylum claim. So that's why, for the majority of these folks, Border Patrol is seeing at these final destinations that they're throwing their paperwork to go to court into the trash, and they're also cutting off their ankle bracelets, and then they're disappearing into society. That's what we're dealing with as far as the, the country as a whole. Wow, and I'm glad you mentioned that because cutting off the ankle bracelet automatically pursuant to statute is immediately deportable offense, even if you're claiming asylum. Um, but of course, we don't seem to have the resources to enforce that. And you mentioned the 10% number. Uh, ironically, from what I'm told, the only reason why it's 10% as opposed to closer to zero, which it really is, particularly from those countries, because it's just it's straight up just a mass population transfer based on economic 
desires and more really family reunification is just because of some of the problems they have with immigration judges being former immigration attorneys. Um, sadly, we saw in Maryland yesterday it was revealed. We reported here that uh, two of these individuals that were released in Maryland went on to commit a murder. And yeah, I mean, it was exactly as he said, they didn't show up. They were ordered deported in abstentia, but we didn't have them until they showed up arrested after a murder. Um, so what I'm trying to figure out is to trace the trail of how they get here. You said they released them to the NGOs. So does that right. mean that CBP is completely done with them or in order to leave the shelter to, let's say, go to Maryland, North Carolina, Virginia, whatever, CBP has to get involved or they're just done and you know the NGOs do what do with them what they want. Well, technically, as soon as Border Patrol gives them their paperwork that says that they they must appear, they the only way that they can be released is if they have a host address or a telephone number to be contacted because they're not actually being given a date to appear. So once Border Patrol gives them that paperwork, technically they could just release them out into society and they would be done. They would have no other interaction with those individuals until they were contacted on the phone to appear at the court of their final destination. So technically, they don't even have to go to the shelter. They could just be walking in the in the uh, communities where they're released, and it would be totally legal. So, and the unfortunate part is, I mean, Border Patrol here has already seen. I think well over 500 cases of fraudulent families coming across. And basically what's happening is the uh, children, because you have to have a child for this to happen with you, is individuals are utilizing these kids and recycling them to get somebody into the country. And then they're flown back and they meet up with somebody else and come back across again. Because what everybody needs to remember is the whole reason that this is happening is the cartels are exploiting this situation. They're charging these individuals each anywhere from, depending on where they cross on the border, 1500 to $6,000 to cross the border. If they do not have that amount of money, then once the cartels get them into this country, there's a designated place for them to go. And then they're indentured to pay back the cartels once they get here. So it's basically uh, slavery. Yep. Yeah. I, I heard from my friends in Texas uh, that increasingly the cartels are having the same problem we have. They don't have enough detention space, even in their inhumane stash houses. So they're taken in on credit. They're just taking down their names. Where are you going to go to? And, you know, we've let in enough garbage over the years that the cartels have so such a robust network in our country that they're able to catch up with them. Um, so it's, it's really, it's scary just from a public safety concern. If you think about the degree of crime we're going to have in the coming years, particularly in the destination areas where I live, um, you know, because they're going to have to work that off. And often that induces criminality because they're desperate to get the money. Oh, absolutely. And your communities and every other community where these folks are ending up at are going to have to deal with the ancillary impacts of that criminal element that's exploiting this situation as well. Our concern from a public safety standpoint is you can already see a significant increase in drug 
smuggling going along the southwestern border, not in towns, but hundreds of towns. Typically, right now, all along the border, Border Patrol has had to pull their resources from our checkpoints along the interstates and highways, which has resulted in uh, individuals being able to uh, smuggle their drugs across the interstates and the main arteries to Chicago and other parts within the country. They opened up the Border Patrol station checkpoint yesterday and ended up apprehending two females that were hauling over 85 pounds of meth. So we know that that's part of the reason why the cartels are orchestrating this whole situation is so they can get their narcotics smuggled into the U.S. because Border Patrol is tied up handling this humanitarian crisis that's currently going on. And I think it's incumbent in you know, law enforcement as a whole. We're asking our communities and, and the voters to start getting engaged and help us with this situation. They need to call Congress. They need to start jumping on them. They were elected by the people to ensure public safety for those citizens that live and voted them in in their respective states. So the only way that this is going to change is if you have a consequence delivery and that includes fixing the asylum laws and getting a repatriation agreement with these countries from the Northern Triangle to return these folks. There is a legitimate legal way to ask for asylum. For the most part, everybody that has been interviewed along the border that's coming in here illegally, they're not fleeing violence. They're fleeing economic situations in their countries. That is not enough for an asylum claim. They know that, so they're exploiting it from this other way by coming in illegally with a child. Sure. And I, I was wondering, you mentioned the drugs. Um, what are you seeing, and how is that affecting your deputies throughout the county? Uh, has their modus operandi changed? Are, are you seeing different type of activity now just on the on the streets or highways? One, one of the biggest things that, that we're seeing as far as uh, law enforcement along the border is the increased use in uh, abuse of fentanyl right now. There's probably not a week that doesn't go by that either uh, a city officer or somebody from the county sheriff's office has had to respond to an overdose reported and had to administer Narcan to try to save these individuals. Um, same with cocaine. We're seeing a large increase in the use of cocaine and meth. And it's more potent than uh, the the typical stuff that we used to see. So uh, no longer are we seeing a lot of marijuana. It's all hard narcotics. So for Yuma, it's meth, cocaine, heroin, and fentanyl that's being smuggled across the border, either through the ports of entry or through the deserts. And, and that's another concern for us is the cartels are busting these folks. They're not walking. They're not driving. They're they're being bused to certain locations by the cartels and told this is where you need to cross. And one of the other concerns that we have from a public safety standpoint is the fact that now, because of the frustration of the American people, we're seeing more and more patriot groups that are self-deploying along the border and seeing this type of activity where the littering is going on. And that's going to lead to conflict between federal state and local law enforcement whom 
we're, we're hamstrung. Obviously, our federal partners are seriously hamstrung on what they can and can't do because Congress has not acted on this situation. So we have citizens that are coming down here and trying to get involved in deterring these individuals from coming in illegally. And that's only going to lead to uh, problems where we're going to have to get in between our own citizens of the United States and illegals. Mm. It, put, it, it puts us in a, in a precarious situation. And we don't want sure. our citizens of the United States to, to put themselves in a vulnerable situation where, A, they could get injured, they could get hurt, but they could be charged. Because if they impede these folks, technically it's a federal violation. It's not a state violation. And it could lead to some problems for them. And we don't want to see that. Wow. So that's why we're asking these folks to get engaged Start meeting with these Congress folks. Start writing them letters. Start wow. calling their office and tell them they need to fix that. Our concern, as all sheriffs and, and Border Patrol articulated when we met in Del Rio, is that because of all this political rhetoric and everybody campaigning for the presidency already, that you're not going to see any kind of solutions Action. brought to the table or action done on this amnesty and this illegal immigration problem for another year and a half. What justice are they doing to the people of the United States by spewing rhetoric and making all these promises that they really can't keep? They need to be called out. They've been in office for a long time. This is not something new, but it's been something that the law enforcement professionals have articulated time and time again through testimony to Congress that they need to fix this issue, but yet they have not done it. So the American people need to open their eyes and see by the lack of engagement, why would we vote anybody into office that has offered no solutions to this problem, nor done anything to fix this situation? Well, why what, would you vote anybody in that, that can't obviously do the job that needs to be done? Well, what amazes me, what you're saying, there are two leverage points coming up right now. We, we don't need to wait a year and a half. And, and frankly, you know, I don't, I don't think anything would change then just on the election alone if we don't change the mentality of some, some of these people because it's no different than the first two years where Republicans had all three branches. But the point is there's a supplemental disaster bill that they might finalize within the next 24 hours. And then there's the broader budget bill coming up in September. And nowhere do I see an effort to address this as the top issue. To the extent they're floating border funding, it's not about deterring and repatriating. It's about more humanitarian aid. It's about, you know, for example, even for the administration, overwhelmingly almost all of the 3.3 billion requests was for HHS, not for ICE. It was for HHS um, to further resettle the Central American teens, you know, rather than deter. And that's my concern. Like you said, there's no, there's no impetus. There's no impetus to act. Um, my my concern is that we were kind of shocked the last time you and I talked. It was, you know, really December, January, February. But we've let this go on for several more months. My concern is that this will become the new normal. And like frogs in boiling water, we become acclimated to it. Well, it's the local communities that are going to have to pay the price on this whole situation. They're going to, they're going to have to deal with these individuals in their communities, and they're going to have to foot the bill. The federal government's not going to foot the bill. 
they, they've given them that piece of paper to appear in court and they're done with it. So, and ICE is significantly overwhelmed already, as you can tell from the 800,000 back in 2017 that we're still pending going to court. So they need to get judges down on the border to hear these cases right then and there and turn them back if they don't meet the legitimate asylum claim. Congress needs to step up and do their job. And obviously they can't do their job. So why would you vote them into office again to further this political rhetoric that's going on and ultimately harming our communities with these hard narcotics and these individuals that are not going to obey the law? They've already shown that by coming across the border illegally. At what point in time do you think that they're seriously going to consider obeying any other law of our country if they won't even obey the basic law of coming in legally. Exactly. I mean, there's so much criminality involved in every element. You talked about this last time you were on the show, endangering of children, um, you know, completing a criminal conspiracy, a smuggling conspiracy. Obviously, a, almost all of them wind up cutting off their ankle bracelets. They fail to register. I mean, I listed a, a, about 12 statutes one time in an article a couple months ago on this, and we don't enforce it. And, and that's what gets my heart broken a little bit with these citizen patriot groups. I'm glad you brought that out. I totally forgot about that issue. I didn't realize it was going on in your area. And certainly, look, you know, no good's going to come out of it. Like you said, there's nothing they could do anyway. It's just going to get them caught up in a rough situation. But it does bother me just the sensitivity a little bit that somehow I get the feeling and, and I'm certainly not endorsing this, but I just get the feeling that the feds will come down hard on them like anything. But when it comes down to the illegal alien smugglers, you know, they could do whatever the hell they want. And, you know, somehow we never prosecute them. And that's our fear is local law enforcement, too. And that's why we don't want to see that happen. And that's why we, you know, we tell these folks, look, we don't mind you being down along the border. We want you to be safe. We want you to be the best witness possible. If you see something, say something, call it into the appropriate authorities, let them handle this situation so that they don't get placed in that predicament because you're right. I mean, these individuals are coming in illegally, but they're not being charged. But for a U.S. citizen to go down on the border and if they put a hand on these people or they deter them or hold them, it's a form of kidnapping technically by federal law. And that could place them in a precarious situation. We don't want to see that. We need them to focus their energy on holding Congress and the elected folks back in Washington, D.C., to, to count, account for doing their job, what they said that they would do when they ran for office. That's what we need the help with. And that's what we try to get that point across is look, we need more help holding cameras accountable than we do you down on the border. We've got folks down here that can take care of that, but we need them to start focusing their energies on Congress and making them act. Because the problem is right now, they're all running for office. It, it's going to be something that we're going to still be talking about for a year and a half because they don't want to do something that might impair their ability to get voted into office. And it's all about power, money, and control for them. That's it. They have no compassion for anything that's down here on the boots on the level or the community speak one honest with you as far as we can see on a local level. None. They come down to the border. They do a photo op. 
for their politics and then they leave and all of a sudden now they're border experts? I don't think so. And that's a problem that we have from local law enforcement perspectives is they'll come down to the border for a photo op. We're not interested in that. We want you to do your job. Yep. You know, it's funny. I just um, did an article. It actually just came out. It'll be in our show notes about uh, how what what happens at the border doesn't stay at the border. Elite East Coast politicians might not care about Arizona ranchers, but 95% of illegal immigrants traipsing through the ranch's land don't stay in Arizona. Most of them go to the East Coast. The hardest hit areas, right around the nation's capital. (laughs) So, um, well, yep. Yeah, pretty soon. I mean, what's it going to take for all these folks to set up camps right down there in Washington, D.C.? So they understand they can see the impact that they're causing this country. It's unreal. You're, you're talking, we have more folks coming across our border in a couple of years now that uh, more than our population of our county. That's pretty significant in the scheme of things. And when you have a Greyhound bus telling you we don't have enough drivers to be able to handle the amount of folks that need bus tickets, that should tell you something right there. You know, um, one of the things I wanted to get your take on in terms of the immediate effects on your area that, you know, I'd be concerned about if I were in your position. I'm wondering if you have any news for our audience on that. And that is the health issues. So, you know, we already know here, here's what we know. Um, you know, uh, acting DHS Secretary McAleenan testified before Congress that these people are coming, quote, from countries where poverty and disease are rampant and that, quote, large numbers of them may have never seen a doctor received immunizations or lived in sanitary conditions. Um, furthermore, we know as uh, Randy Howe, the head of operations at uh, Office of Field Operations of CBP, said they're coming in close quarters on trains and buses that smugglers procure um, and that could hasten the spread of communicable diseases. We know that there was a large mumps outbreak in Honduras last September. They declared a health emergency there. Uh, that's right before the Honduran caravan started. We know that there were 200 cases in Texas ICE facilities of mumps. We know that um, Hidalgo County uh, in the Rio Grande Valley there now has 46 confirmed cases it was in the schools and the colleges and we know that cbp is now releasing directly tens of thousands of migrants even before you know giving them over to ice what are you seeing where you are on that front well our, our biggest focus right off of the very beginning of this this situation is making sure that our local health department was engaged with the uh, local facility because originally they were only able to handle 400 maximum capacity here. Now they're up over to, uh, I think yesterday they were over 1,200 in custody and they've had to, Border Patrol's had to contract with medical providers to actually do these initial screenings. They have come across a number of different diseases from scabies to chicken pox to uh, measles to mumps. Uh, everything that you described that's already been testified with. So they have encountered that here. I know last year for the fiscal year, Border Patrol locally, and we only have one hospital here in Yuma, Arizona. 
Last year, they spent 10,000 man hours sitting at the hospital with Border Patrol agents, and they spent over $700,000 at our hospital tied up with individuals that had health issues that needed to be addressed. So I know that Border Patrol is addressing it. Obviously, when they go to the hospital, the hospitals have a duty to report to the CDC in regards to that. And unfortunately, there have been some Border Patrol agents that have been exposed to uh, these type of health issues. I know there were two Border Patrol agents here locally that uh, contracted scabies from having to have contact with some of these folks. So it, it is an issue. It's, uh, it's being monitored by our local health department, but I mean, medical can only catch what they're able to catch. So, and when you're running through that many folks, I mean, it's obviously an issue for if they're not showing the signs when they're here in the custody of border patrol for 24 hours, then they're not going to catch it all. So, so, so that, and, and part of the problem is, is that, you know, by the laws that have come down, Barbato can only do so much in regards to the juvenile situation. They're not allowed to gather any type of fingerprinting, stuff like that from the kids to positively ID them as being somebody that's been recycled through this system as well. So they're working on that side of it so they can try to deter some of this uh smuggling and use of uh, juveniles with this current situation. Wait, there's a lot, lot, lot so to unpack pretty, there. It's an impact on local. It's impact on local resources because now our health department is having to deal with that as well as the other issues that are in this local community that they have to deal with. So it's, uh, it's Wait a that situation that the Congress has put us on. Wait a minute. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> you threw out a bunch of stuff there. Um, when I spoke to, I mean, it was through email correspondence, media inquiry to CBP. So I asked them this question. I said, how could it be, you know, it takes 24 days often for symptoms of mumps to become apparent, even if you've already contracted it. And I said, look, if you're releasing them within 24 hours, how, you know, and, and, and my understanding is they'll only treat someone if they ask for it. Maybe sometimes minors, they'll do it more aggressively or if there's apparent signs. But if you're, you know, like anyone else, um, you're traveling in those close conditions, you could have easily contracted these very contagious diseases, but it's not apparent. Um, there's no, you know, Ellis Island quarantine incubation period that they're holding you with. Um, whenever right. I ask them if there is, which I know there isn't, they, they dance around that. But they told me, and I'm trying to get the exact uh, quote here, that they have not seen anything unusual. Um, whereas this, they basically said it's to be expected that you're going to come, you know, when you come in the winter, you're going to have cases of the flu. But you're telling me you've seen or you've heard in your county about measles and mumps and other things? Chicken pox. You know, the health departments, all you have to do is get a hold of the CDC or the health departments along the border and talk to them. They can give you all of the uh, that information in regards to what they're seeing as far as those impacts in those communities. But for the most part, when our health department goes and does these uh, inspections, they're, uh, they're there to ensure that folks that do have issues are being adequately addressed medically before they're released into society. 
But again, Border Patrol is only holding them for a certain amount of time because they don't have the resources nor the uh, the facilities to be able to hold individuals sure. for a long enough time, like you're talking about, to be able to monitor. And they don't have the manpower to do that either. They're relying on a contract medical provider to do the initial screenings once they're brought in for processing. So, wait, wait so, so, um... and I, so I mean, ICE has no way, and, and that was one of my questions is, you know, if you do have an individual that does have a, a disease that's being treated, are you tracking them through HHS or, or the CDC to ensure that they're continuing with their medical treatments when they get to their final destination? I mean, that, that's another question that, uh, that hasn't been answered. Well, so so that's what I was wondering. Um, CBP, they'll often dump them off. I know in plays like Phoenix, they were dumped off within 24 hours. But you're saying, so they go to these NGO-run shelters. You're, you're telling me local county officials come down to those shelters and then screen them? Well, they're, they're there to uh, do uh, inspections to ensure that the appropriate level of medical is being addressed and, and the screening is done in the event there is some sort of disease that has uh, been articulated then they they respond immediately to to those uh, shelters or to those locations where the individuals are being released to address that but that is a strain on your local health departments in in regards to this situation so it takes away that resource from their normal duties that that's amazing because I'm I'm just saying, if you conjure up the role of the federal government, I mean I think we all know from the 1800s the quintessential role is to protect the whole of the union, and that's you know security threats, but also health threats. So that screening, you know that incubation line of defense, we're not letting you go past, we're not letting you get into the states. This is federal line. We got to make sure you're all okay. This is what we did at Ellis Island. So you're telling me, obviously, they're not doing that. We know they're not doing that. They can't do that. I mean, well, I would argue they could if they wanted to, but politically, um, they don't want to hold them for that and follow two sections of the INA, which actually require it. But now it's falling upon local authorities to kind of do the federal government screening. Well, to ensure that the federal government is doing the appropriate screening is what your local health departments is doing and that they're addressing the medical issues that, that are all evident when they're there. So, but you know, when you've already got a judge from the ninth circuit court, that's ruled that you can only hold an individual for 20 days at the max. And that time counts as soon as they're apprehended, no matter where that's at, it, it puts a strain on them. So how are you supposed to adequately perform your job? If you're hamstrung by, a limitation that was put down by a federal court that says you cannot hold an individual for more than this amount of time. And Border Patrol can only hold them for a certain amount of time because they don't have adequate housing or detention centers. That's not what they are designed for. Sure. um... So, and again, you know, the, the Border Patrol chiefs, when you talk to them, they're trying to address all these issues. And I mean, the local Border Patrol down here looks like a mini Costco because they have to go out and they have to buy all the hygiene products, the food, the medical supplies that you need for minor stuff, the blankets, the, the clothing, you, you name it. They have to buy all this stuff to be able to take care of these folks that are in their custody now. 
So you've got Border Patrol here that's designed to house at the most 400, and they're having to expand their, their facilities because now you're dealing with apprehensions of 599 a day to 300 a day. You know, at what point are you overloaded and overwhelmed? Border Patrol is overwhelmed. Your federal government has not adequately funded them at all to handle this situation. They're utilizing their, their already given budgets that are normally used to do Homeland Security and Border Security. Sure. So they've had to retool their whole operation. And you talk about ICE. I mean, Congress was the one that wanted to abolish ICE, and there's still people out there that want to abolish them. But ICE, ERO, are the ones that have to monitor these folks and go pick them up when it's found out that they don't meet the asylum claims. So it's a beast. I mean, it really is a beast. And until Congress sits down and fixes this problem, you, I, and the rest of this country are going to have to deal with the repercussions of their lack of action. Yeah. No, I mean, that that, that is unbelievable. Uh, we're ju- ju- almost out of time here. Uh, just wanted to, so we did medical. I'm assuming because the destination is more on the East Coast, they're not staying there, you're not seeing them in your schools like we do in, in Maryland? No. They're, they're, like I said, they're, they're not staying on the border. You, you got to look at the economics of, of the southern border. As, as for instance, the state of Arizona might have a five, six, seven percent, you know, unemployment rate. You know, a lot of the border communities, such as Yuma, it, it fluctuates between uh, eighteen to twenty-four percent, depending wow. on the uh, the season. So there's nothing here for them to stay for. They they want places where they can get a job and they can get housing and and they can go to the schools. Down here along the southwestern border, that's not the case. The the communities are smaller and they don't have the infrastructure to be able to handle it. So they don't want to be here. They want to be in the larger cities and in populations where they can a throw away the paperwork and b disappear into society, assume somebody else's identity, and then go to work and then pay off their bill to the, the cartels because they're indentured to them again for the next two years, unless they were able to pay them at the very beginning. So our concern now is obviously with the cartels exploiting the weaknesses now, the drug smuggling of the illicit narcotics coming across our, our deserts and our borders, and the fact that the cartels are busing these folks by the bus load to these locations along the border. We're seeing an increase in them bringing them out into remote desert areas, which further ties up Border Patrol. And if they don't detect them coming across there, we're, as local law enforcement, going to have to deal with the deaths in the deserts again. And that's not something that we want to see happen. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, is there anything that you think you can do on a state level to create new laws that if the feds don't to at least make some of these actions that they're taking that are usually inherent in, in the smuggling experience, a state crime? Well, again, they've tried that in Arizona with the SB 1070 years ago in regards to uh, illegal trespassing and law, local law enforcement detaining folks. But uh, the bottom line is we as local law enforcement, A, are not here for immigration. We're here for public safety. And the immigration side is not our responsibility nor our job. Obviously, if we 
see something that's a, a federal violation, then much like what we tell the uh, Patriot groups is we, we'd be a good witness. We, we call the local federal entity that's uh, responsible for that situation, and we release that to them. So that that's where we're at now. I mean, it's all incumbent upon your, your governors and your states and your your legislators and lawmakers to make that determination. Again, we don't make the laws, we enforce them. So sure. for us locally on law enforcement, we do what we can with our federal partners to the extent possible that, that we can. I know under Operation Stone Garden, our detention officers are actually driving vans to help them uh, transport from apprehension site to their their processing centers so that they can keep border patrol on the line and, and keep the uh, checkpoints open. But again, that's only on an overtime basis and not always are, are local law enforcement able to uh, fill that gap. You know, our priority is taking care of our communities and improving the quality of life for the citizens we serve and we were voted in to protect. But our, our focus is that we don't get the the rapes and the robberies down along the border corridor that happens by that criminal element that uh, follows them across when they enter illegally, takes advantage of them, and then flees back into Mexico. We don't want to see that happen again like we have seen in the past, as well as the deaths in the desert where the smugglers can bring a group across, rob them, rape them, and then abandon them out in the desert to die. I mean, that's our concern. So just from a humanitarian standpoint, we need Congress to act and stop this because until they do, this is only going to get worse. So, and we've been warning Congress since 2017 that this was coming. So they've had plenty of time to sit down and go to work. But all we've seen is a smoke screen that uh, is on the news each and every day that uh, makes you think that they're doing something positive, but they're not. All they're doing is creating hate and discontent over there in D.C. with each other, and it's not proactive. I mean, for them to not take action and fix this issue is an injustice. It really is. Well, the only time I I see them focus on the border, there is one time when they find um, a Central American who dies of natural causes in ISIS custody, then they're very concerned. That that's the one thing they're concerned about, um, not the effects on well, the American because people. Because it fits their, yeah, that fits their political agenda. They're not there looking into the totality of the situation and what these kids were exposed to. You know. Yep. yep. They're not for any parent or guardian to drag a kid across the remote deserts when it's hundred degrees out. I mean, that's child abuse. It's child neglect. I actually was going to say, I thought it was remarkable that only six have died. Um, it speaks to, you know, the efforts that, that CBP has, has gone through to, to, you know, expend all our resources on patrolling in our own medical care for their medical care, that only six died out of hundreds of thousands coming under the worst conditions. I mean, you know, it, it would be nice if it was zero, but but that's, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, that, that really bothers me because, you know, on this show, we've expressed the frustration that few others, including some of my conservative colleagues, have really not focused enough on this, but the only time this got focused this week was, you know, another 16-year-old Guatemalan died in ice custody somehow as if it's their fault. Um, of course, they don't talk yeah. about the 16-year-old who was mutilated in uh, Maryland from MS-13 as a result of catch and release. Uh, that that's a different right. body count, you know, that they don't want to uh, focus on. 
But um, well, it doesn't meet their political agenda, and again, that's a part of our frustration. We only concentrate on it when it meets their uh, their needs to run for office. It's ridiculous. <laughs> if they were truly engaged with this situation, they would be down here, and they would be addressing the situation and listening to local law enforcement, listening to the our federal law enforcement partners, and then taking that back, like we've said time and time again, and get Congress to do something. But right now, everything that they're doing is a smoke screen because they don't really want to sit down and make those hard decisions. Well, you shouldn't have ran for office and got that position without knowing that you were going to have to make an unpopular decision. The law is the law. And here's our thing. You know what? The laws were created for enforcement. If you can't enforce the law and you don't like the law, then Congress change it. Until then, step up and enforce it. It's pretty easy. They're the lawmakers. Don't blame us for something where it's the law that we're mandated to enforce. If you don't like it, change it. If not, enforce it and step up and hold people accountable. Absolutely. And, and, and sadly, it's a bipartisan problem. It really is. Um, it's, it's, it's very sad. I mean, Democrats control the House. Republicans control the Senate. Neither body is taking any steps. Um, nor did Republicans do anything when they controlled both branches before uh, 2017. Now, they're not going to talk about abolishing ICE, but they're not going to you know, really talk about solving the problem either. Um, no. I mean, they, they haven't put the funding out here to address this since 2017. You know, Border Patrol's been struggling, so has ICE. ICE didn't have the personnel to be able to do their job adequately because they're already stretched thin. And all this is doing is just adding more to their plate that they're not going to be able to get to. So what what have they done to protect the American citizen? That's their priority. So this is just a little technical question, and I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. I might maybe have to ask someone on the county ca- uh, commission there. But um, I know in, in Federal Code 28 CFR 6582 here, there's a procedure for chief executives of a state or a local government to – give over um, a request to the president determination of the existence of an uh, immigration emergency um, and the types of assistance needed to meet that emergency. Is that what what the county government did recently, declaring an emergency? Well, that was the, the city of Yuma, and that was through the mayor. Because right now, we're not experiencing the, the drain on resources per se, like the, the mayor was concerned with as far as the, the city of Yuma goes. So I forwarded that information to the mayor because I know he had a chance to sit down and talk with the president of the United States here not too long ago. And that was kind of one of my questions. Did you guys discuss this? Cause I know that uh, for the city of Yuma, because that's where the shelter is and that's where the border patrol station is located within that jurisdiction, that uh, their resources would be the ones that would be uh, tapped first. And then uh, what would happen basically is when their resources are uh, exhausted, then that goes to the uh, surrounding entities to try to uh, fill the gap that they need taken care of, and then it, it escalates from there. But uh, for that one, I forwarded it to the mayor. I don't, I don't have an answer yet on whether or not that was part of their discussions. Sure, sure. Um, final question. I... But the board of supervisors here has not declared a state of emergency. The the 
the the situation is impacting more the uh, the health department, which is run by the county, and then the uh, resources for our federal counterparts, and then the uh, the non governmental organizations that are helping run the shelters and feed and house and clothe these folks. Because that's what I was wondering if you had that ability. I mean, I know sheriffs are more powerful in Arizona than they are in my part of the country, but I guess you you probably wouldn't be considered the executive for that decision. Um, no, those are made by the uh, upon the recommendation of a sheriff to their board of supervisors, who would ultimately make uh-huh. that uh, declaration. And typically, in a, a, a any kind of national emergency that we would handle, that would go to the governor of the state to bring in the uh, national guard to help with that. Uh, I know one of the things that we've done here, and our governor has been good about it, is getting the national guard down to fill some of the gaps manning camera systems and, and some of the background functions that Border Patrol agents were doing to free them up to, to do their job. And then uh, eventually deployed U.S. Marines from uh, Camp Pendleton down here to help run the, some of the camera systems as well. So fortunately for us in Arizona, we, we do have uh, the National Guard and a, a governor that's supporting our, our federal counterparts in that. Uh, not necessarily the case in in other states like New Mexico or California, so that further burdens those resources there for those entities. Man, I I, I could talk to you forever, but I want to let you go. One more question, a little bit different, but really on the same topic. Just criminal justice in general. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up with someone like you. I'm finding a disturbing trend in. Across across the country, certainly in in you know states like Maryland, we're even putting aside sanctuary cities and immigration, just general criminal justice, where there's this trend to avoid locking up juveniles at all costs. So yesterday we reported on two Central American teens that were arrested for you know a mutilated, you know, killing someone with a machete and and uh, and a bat in an MS-13 attack. And it turned out that the kids were arrested, you know, 16, 17 years old. They were arrested almost exactly a year to the day in 2018 for attempted first degree murder with robbery and a bunch of other things involved in MS-13. And the big story of the day was the fact that those jurisdictions were given an ICE detainer. ICE put a detainer on them and they defied it and let them go and they were able to go on to commit another murder. So that that in itself is an unbelievable story. But I was taken in by a, a sub-narrative of this, which is I said, hey, you know, putting aside the sanctuary, the immigration status, how the heck do you have people arrested on gang-related attempted first-degree murder and they don't really serve hard time? Is this a general trend you're seeing? I know you do work with the National Sheriff's Association um, that we're getting too lenient with juveniles. Well, I will tell you for for Arizona, for instance, if it's a juvenile that's committed a heinous crime like that, no matter whether they're a U.S. citizen or not, they uh, just by that type of crime they would be charged as an adult. For the most part, the feds do not prosecute juveniles for any kind of crimes. They put that onus on to local law enforcement, who has to take those cases. So we work closely in regards to a situation like that with our federal counterparts. They contact us on that, and then that individual would be charged by our local county attorney 
And then because of the heinous act that you described, they would not be charged as a juvenile held in a juvenile detention center. They would be charged as an adult. And they would they would actually go to our jail and be housed there and go through an adult process and go to prison. So it, it all depends on the state and it depends on the laws, how they were written. But you're right as far as juveniles go, for the feds, they don't prosecute juveniles. And the cartels exploit that, telling them that, hey, I need you to body carry in this fentanyl, or I need you to transport this uh, meth or cocaine or heroin in your backpack, and the feds won't charge you, so you don't have to worry about going to jail. Not true in Arizona. I'm not sure what the other states do in regards to that. But we've had uh, up to six lately in our jail that were uh, caught smuggling drugs across the uh, the border. And I know Cochise County's had up to 20-some-odd juveniles in his custody that were charged as, adult, as adults for uh, smuggling large amounts of uh, hard narcotics across the border. So it depends on the jurisdiction and, and the laws of those states. Sure, sure, but yeah. We, we believe in 100% prosecution of those that would uh, break the law. And unfortunately, what you're seeing now is the fact that there's no prosecution going on to deter this element that's coming across now. And that's why we're not seeing this slow down because they're not being prosecuted for violating the law, period. Exactly. You got to have a consequence delivery. Yep, so, a protected and that's why they need the Georgias. And that's why they need judges down on the border. It's like I told you before, they built a 20 some odd million dollar federal courthouse that. 60,000 square foot in size, and they have one magistrate working out of that federal courthouse down here on the border. Brand spanking new. Couldn't be more than five years old. And they still don't have a judge down here full-time handling this stuff. If they did, that might put a kibosh on some of this stuff. But again, that's Congress, and we're waiting on them to sit down and actually bring some solutions to the table and not political rhetoric. Enforce the rule of law. Without a consequence delivery, the citizens of the United States are going to see this get worse. Exactly. And and whereas there won't be any qualms about separating parents from children to prosecute some of these citizen patriot group leaders, uh, they won't worry about that. Oh, I know. I mean, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I get that, too, because when they first started talking about that, I was like, look, we in law enforcement do that on a daily basis when people uh, treat children bad. I mean, they, we separate them all the time. It's child protective services. New. I mean, we got exactly. child protective. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we, we do it on a daily basis because we don't want kids in harm's way. Um, to not enforce that rule of law on the federal side, it, you're only just placing those kids in, in worse predicament, and they have no control on this. Yep, that's what we see now. It's a protected political class. It's all political. Well, thank you so much, Sheriff. I wish we'd have more sheriffs in, uh, in Congress, but... Um, you know, you guys seem to have really, I mean, it's a pleasure having you on, whether I speak, you know, with uh, your counterparts in Texas or North Carolina or anywhere. By the way, any anytime I mention Sheriff Wilmot, everyone, everyone's heard of you. <laughs> so um, throughout the country. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I was elected to uh, to do the job. And, and why would you hide this from the citizens of the United States? I mean, we're here to protect and serve. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And like I said, if we determine something that can be charged as a state crime, it doesn't matter where you're from. 
you will be prosecuted for it. And that's the only way to deter the criminal element from conducting their business. There you have it, folks. Law and order from Sheriff Leon Wilmot. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll check back within you with you as the story develops over the next couple of months. Folks, we're about out of time. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.